The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. And um, hello to everybody live streaming us today, too. Um, this is the 24-7 van, our college ministry at Parkview. I'm just thankful for them. First week of school, getting used to classes, and they're leading us in worship today. So they can still hear you if you clap. Why don't you give them a round of applause? That'd be good. All right. Good. Man, do you feel like it's on now in Iowa City, right? Iowa City is awake and alive again. So students are back. I got to be at 24-7's kickoff this week. It was awesome to see the students there. Saw a crew kicking off this week, too. It was awesome. So college mysteries, and if you've got kids in school, it seems like everything's starting cross-country and football, and all the area football teams won, West High City, High Clear Creek, Solon. Regina didn't, but it doesn't matter. They'll still win a state title. So, like, all that is happening. Clear Creek won, you know, so, like, it's it's on, and here we are. And I just feel like church-wise, too, like, this is, it's on. Things are starting. I know the calendar says January starts the year. In Iowa City, it's end of August. That starts our year, so... Very thankful uh, for this time of year. And that's why even in this time of year, it's good to look at the Bible and just look at, well, what are we supposed to be doing? What is a church? And what does it mean to go to church and be a part of our church? So that's why we're calling this series The Basics. We're just looking at what it, what it, you know, what are, what are we supposed to do here, Lord? And, and what I'm excited about is um, that we are looking at the book of First Peter. And I can think of few people other than Peter who would have a deeper passion for the church. Uh, it was Peter who first heard Jesus say, I will build my church, and upon this rock, uh, I, will, I will build it on this rock, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it, that the church is an unstoppable team. And if you look at what was the rock Jesus was referring to, it was Peter's statement when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Jesus used that word church, it wasn't like a religious term. It didn't mean a, like we think of, like a church building or a denominational church. Basically, the word just meant a gathering of people, an assembly. There was a time in other literature, it just meant a riot. So it just means a gathering of people united around that statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so you're coming to church this morning doesn't mean you're coming to this building. It means that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are part of that movement of people that have rallied around for centuries since since the time of Christ, around that banner that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what's really interesting about this letter that Peter wrote is that he is writing to uh, people, it's towards the end of his life, he's writing to believers who are trying to live out their calling as the church. And they are in an area of the world where they are being persecuted. They are scattered among cities and provinces in what is today known as Turkey. And so Peter refers to them as exiles and and aliens, they're in, in different lands trying to live out their identity as followers of Christ. And so the letter is very encouraging. It's very affirming. And one pattern you see Peter continually communicating is uh, he's trying to make it clear to them who they are in Christ. Because it's out of their identity that they will then live and live out what God is calling them to do. And so that's what our passage will do today. It will remind us of our of our identity in Christ so that we'll know what our mission is. Our mission flows out of uh, what our identity is. And so the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, that, that what you do follows what you think about who you are. And so 
My dog Bubba is an example. He's now a 95-pound black lab. But when he was little, he used to love to crawl in my kids' laps and all that. But the other day, he still thinks he's a lap dog. Like he's climbing all 95 pounds into my lap and say, Bubba, no, you are not a lap dog. And so similarly today, God's going to show us who we are so that we know how to live out this calling, uh, both individually. And then I just want to make this clear, too, that throughout the New Testament, uh, and we do this as Americans, we'll take the teaching and apply it to just me. So, so much of the New Testament is, wit- is written to we. Okay, this is what we do corporately. So I'm excited to get into this. Let me uh, have you stand, and we're going to read the passage, the passage together. There's four verses, and you're going to see they are just loaded this morning. Okay, so I'll try to get you out by, by 1230 or so. No, we'll get, we'll get through them, but let's, uh, let me read it. Uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for what you have done for us. And so would you please help these very rich words come to life in our hearts and may we live out of our identity. May we truly grasp what you have said about us and then may our lives truly reflect who we are. And so teach us today as your church. In your great name we pray, amen. You guys can grab a seat. Thanks for reading out loud. I didn't even ask you to. You just did it. That was awesome. So... So, yeah, so we're going to start with our identity. And you see that so many times in the Bible that God doesn't just tell you to go do something. First, he'll tell you who you are or he'll tell you what he's done for you. And then out of that, he'll tell you, this is what I'd like you to do. And so you got to listen to how we identify ourselves. So many times it happens when we meet somebody. Just think of the common things you throw out there in conversations, you know, where you live or what you do, or you might talk about your your family or who your football team is, or those kind of things. Or then it gets a little creepier. Sometimes as parents, we start trying to express our identity through our kids. You know, oh, my kid is three weeks old and he's crawling already. You know, like, aren't I a great, you know, genetic donor to my kid, you know? Or my kid is like a year now and he's reading, um, you know, Dr. Seuss, or he's three and he's reading Tolkien. So like we're doing, we can do those kind of things. Or sometimes by the stickers we put on our car, like, look at what my kid, look at the teams, and I'm stepping on my toes as well. But look at the things my kid is involved in. He's on elite, gold, supremacy, dynasty, superior to your kid. Like he's on that team and your kid isn't. And that's my identity. Or my kid is an honor student. Or I like the one that says, my student, my kid beat up your honor student or whatever. You know, just however we want to sometimes identify ourselves in, in kind of a creepy way. We can do that through our kids as well. And so when Peter's writing to these believers, like in the midst of struggle, uh, he, those things don't work. We need to know at the core, who are we? And so in those first two verses we read, we're going to see just four, and if you have an outline you can look at. Um, I don't like my words that I use there. I might tweak some of them as we go. 
But if I were to summarize, what is Peter saying about our identity in Christ through the gospel? The first word there is chosen, that you are a chosen race. And that, that sounds, that could sound arrogant unless you understand the concept that we saw in the very first two verses of 1 Peter, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in a full court press came after us and we weren't even looking for God. But the truth of the gospel is, is that we had nothing to offer God, that we were sinful men and women uh, and really had nothing to offer him. Yet in spite of that, God was gracious. God chose us. God pursued us. And so right away, Peter says, you are chosen by God. And, and again, you think back to your days as a kid when maybe you were or weren't chosen for a team or for the play or whatever, and how honoring and good you felt when you were chosen, but on a much grander scale to know that the God of the universe has, has chosen you. The other, the next word there, I use the essential. I don't like that as much. But the statement that came out of is you are a royal priesthood. How about the words capable and responsible? I like those better, capable and responsible. The Latin word for priest is bridge. That literally we are people, uh, since we've been chosen by God, we have access to God and all that God is and who God is. And so now it's our privilege and it's our responsibility to be a bridge, to take what God has given us and to share it with others. You may have heard the expression, the priesthood of all believers, that in a church context, you don't elevate just one as the one who will meet everybody's needs, but that you get the concept of we're all priests. We all have that privilege of being in God's presence. We have the capability because um, God has chosen us. God has blessed us. And now we are to be a blessing to others. And that's a big part of what today is about with a taste of Parkview. It's a great chance for you, if you are not already involved in ministries, to go and just kick the tires and see, are there some places where you can serve and you can use your gifts and you can get to know uh, some people and be what Peter is saying here, that we are the priesthood, uh, that we are a royal priesthood, okay? The third one is that we are set apart that he calls us a holy nation. It's a reminder to us, and you see this throughout the New Testament, that, that this is not our home, that there are many amazing things about this life for us to enjoy and celebrate, and God is all over that. It's a great way to bring him glory when we enjoy what he has done and what he has given us. But yet we don't anchor our hope and our expectation for satisfaction on this planet. The, uh, Philippians 3 says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven, we eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, Peter uses words like we are sojourners, we are exiles, that this really is not our home. And so uh, we, we live differently. We have different values. We have our hopes in different places. And so our identity is we're chosen. We are royal priesthood. We are set apart. And the final phrase there is that we are cared for. Uh, Peter used the expression that we are a people for God's own possession. You belong to God. You are valuable to God. The value of something is measured both in what's the price paid for it and who does it belong to. And so in both cases in the scripture, you were bought, if you were in a relationship with God, it's because you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus giving his life for you that allowed you to become in this relationship with God, to become the people of God, okay? And then once you are his people, so many truths in the scripture, like if God is for us, who can be against us? There's a whole confidence. There's, I like to call it a, there's a godly swagger you can have when you really understand who 
you belong to. I was kind of snuck up by a psalm this week, Psalm 114, and we won't go through it this morning, but it's a short one, and it basically makes the statement that, that God is the supreme God of the universe and that, that as his people, he dwells in our presence. And then it makes a few statements like, in the mountains, we'll skip like calves, and the, like just the things we see in this life as insurmountable, that because alone of the presence of God with us, those things are just no big deal, that God is with us and the confidence that that brings. And so you can see for Peter's audience, these things are just so crucial for them to know. It would be very easy to live in fear and timidity as you're living out, you're being persecuted, as we see throughout the letter. They are suffering in many different ways, and yet Peter wants them to know who they are. And so my first question for you this morning is, is, is do you understand? Do you understand how God sees you? Do you understand the identity that God would love for you to have through the gospel, through what Jesus has done for you? It's not something, it's not an identity that you earn or achieve. We're in a university town. You're used to taking classes and taking tests and earning degrees. This identity is not something you earn. Uh, in fact, the only thing we contributed toward this is that we sinned, okay? And we needed a savior. And God in his love pursued us and took us from being his enemies to now being his heirs, his sons, his daughters, chosen, essential, set apart, and cared for. So my, my encouragement is that if that is new turf for you or you find yourself clinging to other identities in your life, I, I would love to talk to you. There are, there are leaders up here that will pray with you after the service or or jump into a group, into a Bible study group, but just may this be the year, if you're, not, if you're not living out of this identity yet, make sure you understand what God is offering you, the new identity he is offering you through Jesus Christ, okay? So, so that's part one. And so part two of this passage is, okay, in light of who we are, how are we to live, both individually and then as a church? So that's where we look at the rest of our time. Um, what do we do because of who we are? Is the question we're going to answer. So I see three things in this text. Let me just highlight the first one here. I'm going to reread uh, verse 10 again where it said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And then he uses the word that. You could say so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So right away there's the first one is teed up for us. It's easy, okay? We are those four things so that we can proclaim his excellencies. I want to talk about that word proclaim a little bit. I just read that, and I just immediately assume that's like a verbal proclamation. And if you watch the Olympics much this year, it just seems like maybe more than in most years, there were many athletes who had a relationship with Jesus who were identifying with the gospel because there were many opportunities where you saw believers proclaiming you know, they're, they're giving God glory for what happened. And so Michael Phelps, if you were here last week, uh, Jeff referred to that amazing transformation in his life. The important detail as a Baltimore Raven fan is that it was Ray Lewis, the former all-pro linebacker for the Ravens, who reached out to Michael Phelps after the London Games, who won all those gold medals. Uh, in his own words, he was a train wreck when he got back to the States, that he was a time bomb waiting to go off, no self-worth, no self-esteem, in spite of gold medals and fame. And he began to indulge in some addictive and destructive behavior. And so 
it was Ray Lewis who reached out to Michael Phelps and shared the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And so one story I heard was that while he was in rehab, but had understood this book, had understood the gospel, that they referred to him as Preacher Mike, because you couldn't shut him up. He was just talking constantly about his new identity and what Christ had done for him. So he was proclaiming how God had flipped his life around. Another one, this was uh, kind of funny too. I didn't, I didn't realize all this, but uh, Fiji, not, I don't follow rugby, I guess, but Fiji won a gold medal, and it was in rugby, and they crushed Great Britain, 43-7. to seven. So if you're British, you're kind of bumming because two small island nations have just kind of kicked your butt this summer. So like in the uh, Euro game soccer, Iceland beat, you know, a bunch of volunteer guys beat a professional Great Britain team. Okay, so now the same thing happened in the Olympics where this little island, Fiji, beats Great Britain. And so what's really cool is that those players, after they won the match, sang in English and Fijian, we have overcome, we have overcome, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the Lord, we have overcome. And when they received their medals on the stand, they received them on their knees. Again, just showing that it's not about them, it's about the one who enabled them and empowered them to to achieve the victory. And so, man, I hear those, and those are awesome. And maybe you've had opportunities to just proclaim and point to Jesus for, for something that people have been drawn to in your life. What's interesting is that this word is a unique word where it says proclaim his excellencies. There were many words that could have been used to talk about a verbal proclamation. Shout, preach, declare. So many words that could have been used, but this word is unique in the whole New Testament. And when you look outside the New Testament, well, how was this word used? It had more of a use of to express. It meant a like a full-orbed way of communicating, almost as if it's saying not just verbally, but with everything. Like it's all, you are all in in communicating the excellencies of God. It's like when you give a gift to somebody and outside they're saying, oh, gee, thanks. You know, but maybe it was like a shirt and they're looking at it and saying, thanks, I don't like it. And you just gave me an errand, you know, like, so thanks, I got to go exchange this, you know. So nothing in them, you can just tell they don't like it, even though they said, thank you, what a nice gift. So in the same way, Peter's saying, when you are proclaiming God's excellencies, May this come out of your identity. May it be a full-orbed proclamation, not just in your words, or not just somebody might see you pray at lunch at work, or that somebody knows you go to church, but they just look at the full expression of your life. And everything about you is proclaiming the excellencies of God. That's what, that's what Peter is calling us to. In fact, in uh, a couple different times in his letter, he refers to Psalm 34. It's one of my favorite Psalms. And there's that verse in Psalm 34 where, where David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I think that's what Peter is calling us to, like be so aware and experience to such a depth what God has said about you, who you are, what your identity is, that you've tasted it. And when you taste something, you can't help but to talk about it. You can't help but to spread it, not just with your words, not just with a casual comment, but with your whole life. That's what Peter is inviting us into. And I've just got to be maybe in a pastoral moment here. Can I just ask you, like, is your faith right now, could you describe that as, as if you have just tasted, you've just tasted something really sweet, like you, you've tasted honey and you, man, that is really sweet. How is your taste right now of your identity in Christ? 
because um, it is so easy for us that our faith becomes just things we know in our head, but we're not really tasting or experiencing it. Like, when's the last time you just went to be in God's presence and you didn't ask Him for anything and you weren't asking for help or you needed something? You just, you just went to enjoy Him. You just went to uh, be with Him and just live in this identity that He has chosen you, that you are His son, uh, you're His daughter. Um, may, may I just continue to encourage us to keep our hearts in that posture, that again, our faith isn't just something we know, but it's something that we truly live and experience and, and taste. I, I bat, I'll be honest, I battle for that. And In this last year, I just think there have been some things I've been praying for and people I've been praying for and just not seeing breakthroughs. And sometimes it's easy to get discouraged and sometimes it's easy to say, well, God, where where are you? Are you are you moving? And and um, I'll just be really blunt. The other day, just on a prayer walk with my wife, and Lori just did an amazing prayer. It was my turn to pray, and I just couldn't. I just wasn't wasn't in that place of, yeah, is God good? Yes. Is God going to answer these prayers? Yes. But just, I wasn't there. And so that's what Peter is calling us to. It's like, just, and that forced me back into my identity, forced me back into truth. It forced me back into some time with God. Say, why? Why am I not proclaiming your excellencies? I can't even pray now with my wife. So what Peter is calling us to is, you guys, in light of what God has done for you, proclaim his excellencies with all that you are, okay? So that was the first one. The second one is the word abstain. He says, I'm beloved, and I love just picturing tough, rugged fisherman Peter using such a gentle word, right? Beloved. And so I would also think, okay, something hard's coming here, right? He's setting us up, something soft, and now here comes the left hook. But here's what he says. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Again, our home is somewhere else. We don't live for what this world offers. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So the concept here is... Um, Again, it comes from a couple of these words about waging war, for example. Uh, there were a couple words, a couple concepts could have been used. One would have been, like, this is a throwdown. Like, this is just a big, one-time showdown. It's, you know, do or die right here. This one has more of the nuance of a constant kind of nagging day after day after day after day battle. And so the fight here is that we abstain from the passions of the flesh that... Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, for example, says we have an enemy. And here's what it says about him. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Is that we have an enemy that loves to kind of side up with our natural passions that tend to take us away from God and from our identity. And so as soon as our passions are taken away from Christ, there's a couple things that happen. Not only are we started to drift away from Christ, but we no longer proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We start proclaiming the excellencies of whatever our heart is pursuing, if that's our grades or our job or our income or somebody we want to date or so many things, so many passions can take the place of Jesus being our ultimate passion. And when the enemy does that, we're no longer proclaiming God's excellencies. We're celebrating other things. And so... The warning here is, again, tenderly, Peter's saying, beloved, you've got to fight that day after day. You've got to fight the passions of, of the flesh. And so there's a concept here um, 
There's a, there's a Scottish philosopher, theologian from the 1800s named Thomas Chalmers. I tried to read a quote from him last hour, and I just totally slaughtered it. So, but write down this phrase. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's called the expulsive power of a greater affection. The expulsive power of a greater affection. That when we, we fight, we fight these desires, these passions that take us away from Christ. This was the expulsive power of a greater affection. My analogy to that would be I'm going to go back to my dog again. Okay, So if Bubba has a shoe in his mouth, and i got to get that shoe out of his mouth. Say, Bubba, drop the shoe. And if he won't, i got to get that shoe out of his mouth. So maybe I'll go to the refrigerator and pull out a hot dog. Okay, so like he'll see the hot dog, drop the shoe, and immediately come to the hot dog, right? So, so what Chalmers is saying is like the way that we fight sin and, and these desires that pull us toward earthly passions is that we've got to beat them with a stronger passion, with something that is far more satisfying than a shoe for Bubba, right? Hot dog's better than shoe. And so for us... What is something that is far superior to the worldly passions that our soul is drawn to? Peter would say that that is the excellencies of what God has provided for us. In fact, you see Peter using this a couple different times in his letter, this, this concept. In 1 Peter 1.13, for example, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he talks about our obedience. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. So the thought there is like set your minds. Look at what Christ has done for you. Look at who Jesus is. Look at your identity in Christ. And may that, as you contemplate, as you pray, as you focus, just, just bring to light how inferior these other passions and pursuits are. Are. So there's one time. Another time you see Peter do it is chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, where he says this, like newborn infants long for, I like the versions that say crave the pure spiritual milk, referring to God's word, so that by it you can grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me just encourage us in that daily war for the passions of our soul. I think there's a two-pronged attack that Peter's giving us, that there needs to be regular patterns in our lives where we're before God and just reflecting on and thanking him for, praising him for what he has done for us through the gospel. And then there needs to be regular times where we are craving and feeding spiritual milk of God's word. As a pastor in just the number of years, um, and, and it's an honored place to be when somebody comes and just shares a struggle, or just shares, like, I, I failed, or whatever. I just need to, need to know this is not a perfect church. I am not a perfect man. And whenever I hear that, there's always elements of that story that I can connect with. But I can almost say 99 point whatever percent of the time when somebody's just dumped that with me, and just gently you ask, okay, so um, how have your times been um, just spending time with God and just praying or how have your times been being in God's word? And the third one is, who else in your life knows this? Who else have you been battling, you know, and has been praying for you? Again, 99% of the times, no, I have not been, been praying. No, I have not been in God's word. No, I'm doing this alone. And so, um, again, very practically, to win this war, um, you need to defeat it. You need to expand the expulsive power of a greater affection. 
And so the affection that can come from just pursuing God in your prayer life, pursuing God in his word, and pursuing God with other people will help you in this battle, okay? So we're called to proclaim. We're called to abstain. And the last one is we're called to do good. And can I just say this again? These are not things that you just go and just kind of crank it out. These are things that flow out of who you are, out of your identity, okay? So Peter said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Literally, that means beautiful. That even Gentiles will look at your life and go, man, that is cool, okay? So may your conduct among the Gentiles be honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So I think what uh, Peter's really doing is he's understanding the culture and the time that these people are living in, that they are really misunderstood. Uh, and, and we can relate to that today, too, as believers, as Christians. I heard one guy summarize that if you're an evangelical, Bible-believing Christian today, people will see you as either extremist or irrelevant, okay? And so much, you know, to an extent we have that today in a much greater way, Peter's people were going through that. And so Peter's encouragement to them was, May your lives just be beautiful in the, in the midst of people who don't understand you. I mean, our faith is, was really strange to people back in, in, in this time, in Peter's time. Uh, it's strange in our time, too. My best friend was born in a manger, you know, stuff like this. I believe in a guy 2,000 years ago that died and rose again from the dead. I mean, people rationally can look at what we believe and just kind of dismiss it and blow it off. Um, even today, it just seems like for some reason... Christians are fair game. Like, you can just take a shot at a Christian, it's no big deal. If it's late-night comics, if it's whatever, just Christians are fair game. Even the profanity used in our country today, how come it's never Gandhi, you know, or Buddha? You know, it's always JC or GD or just J or just C. Like, it's no problem, right? Just ridiculing Christ. And so we are in those days. What Peter says, and it's interesting, you read throughout almost every book in the New Testament, there's some element of either it's Jesus or his people are suffering. And how do they respond? You, you don't see retaliation and anger in fighting back. But we're following the lead of our Savior. And he lived out of his identity. And the life he lived was beautiful. There's a sweet picture of this. And I don't have the verses for you on the screen. But it's John 13. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. You can imagine a ton of things on his mind. He's gathering with his followers. And it's the night that he got up and he washed their feet. Okay, he served them. And John 13 verse 3 tells us what prompted Jesus to do this. It said, Jesus, and listen to what it says, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking up a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he proceeded to wash his disciples' feet. But what leveraged Jesus into that was his, his identity. He knew who he was. He knew all things were given to him. He had nothing to prove, nothing to earn. He didn't need anything from these people. And so the encouragement Peter is giving us is that we can follow the lead of our Savior. That when you look at what he has given us and how he has empowered us, we don't walk through this life expecting other people to serve us or care for us, particularly Gentile world. Like, we have no rights. In fact, you look at the rest of this section of First Peter, the calling is to live submissively uh, with our government, to live submissively at the workplace, to live submissively within the home. 
that we're not people that are fighting for our rights, but that we are people who are so set up in a good way in our identity in Christ that it frees us to do good for others. Uh, Doug Fern referred to this verse a couple weeks ago, but it, it's so reflective of what God said to his people in Jeremiah 29 when they were in exile in the evil uh, empire <laughs> regime of Babylon. This is what God said to his people in verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So the encouragement to us is to do good. Not You're not earning God's favor by doing good. You've already got God's favor. You're chosen by him. Um, you are not doing good so that everybody will like you and your popularity will go up. You'll get more likes on Facebook and all this stuff. But you are doing good because it just flows out of who you are. And so just asking these kind of questions. If you're a student, does your teacher think it's a good thing that you're in their class? Do the other students think that? Or wherever you go to work, like, is it a good thing? Does your boss, do the coworkers say, man, it is a good thing that he is here, that she is here because of your character, because you're known for doing good? What do your neighbors think? Is it a good thing that you are in the neighborhood? Um, even as a church, what does Iowa City say? Is it a good thing that Parkview Church is in our city? The, the, the command here, the living out of our identity is, is just to be known for doing good, okay? And so all those things, again, flow out of who we are. We're going to hear from Jeff. He's back from Baton Rouge. Um, one of our pastors here spent a week there. And again, he's going to, and, and I've heard on the news stories of how it's been believers, it's been churches on the front line of responding uh, to the flooding victims in Baton Rouge and needs. We're going to hear some great stories here. But that is exactly what Christ is calling us to do, to do good out of our identity, okay? So now let's get to our essential rhythms. As a church, uh, again, this passage was written corporately. What are we to do with this passage? Let me just say three things that ought to be common in our uh, rhythm as believers, as, as ones who come to Parkview Church because we are the church. This, this building isn't the church. We are the church. So living out our identity, what are we called to do? And we're called to worship. We proclaim his excellency. So when you gather here, we will proclaim the word of God. Um, you will not hear the word of Doug, the word of Jeff. Uh, we need to stay clear to the scripture and teach God's word and proclaim it. And when we sing and when we worship, we need songs and lyrics that just point us to uh, the excellencies of Christ and what he has done for us. Really, in many ways, our worship time um, it is meant to be a time where we are mutually firing each other up, right? There are you, and I, don't, I won't pick you out, I won't embarrass you, but there are some of you that when I am near you worshiping, and some of you say, I can't sing a lick, and some of you are right, you can't. But it doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with what I can see just outwardly is going on with you inwardly because uh, you love Jesus. It helps that I may know your story. I may know what you were going through recently, and I still see you crying, or I see you know tears in here when there's worship going on. You guys do not under do not underestimate the power of corporate worship. It's not just the prelims before the sermon, right? It's not the warm up act before the big one at Kinnick last night. It's like this is what we God God commands us to do. It's like honking geese. I guess they can fire each other up by honking, right? So, but if I'm in here and you are, ex, you know, expressing the excellency of God as you sing, it fires me up. And my hope is that I'm doing the same for you. And so we do that when we gather. 
corporally. And then the hope, too, is that we do that when we're scattered, that throughout the week we're in his presence, that he's, he's, we're in his word and that we're praising him. So worship is a key rhythm of what we do. I'd say, okay, and it's awesome that you're here this morning with us who love that. I would say the next crucial place for you to be would be in, to be in biblical community. When you Throughout the New Testament, again, it's written to y'all, not just you singly, and we're so bad at that as Americans. We take everything just individually, me and God. But you are called corporately to gather together. And so if you are not in biblical community, I would say the first stop for you in Taste of Parkview would be to go talk to somebody about a community group, about getting in a place where you study God's word together, you care for each other, you pray for each other, and then you serve, you live on mission together. It's kind of like many outposts of Parkview Church all over this area, doing, living out our identity, okay? And so make sure you do that. Get in biblical community. And finally, we're here to extend the gospel, and we do that together. And I just think one, one strength I see at Parkview is just so many ways I see us just getting the gospel. Please know we are not a perfect church, but I love just the numerous ways. One benefit of being a multi-generational church is that in many areas, I just see the gospel going out through you and through ministries here, whether it's at Faith Academy or the spot, or this afternoon, the junior high and high school ministries have outreach events. And again, it was on campus since all 24-7. Have a great night last Wednesday night. And just throughout this city, um, I see you guys extending the gospel. And then throughout the world, as we have so many workers from here that are going out to parts of the world that don't know the gospel. Just, I commend you, but that is what we do corporately as a church. We extend the gospel. I love it when uh, I'll meet somebody in town and just kind of find out where they work. And I know one of you guys works there too. And I'll say, oh, do you know so-and-so? And they're, oh, yeah, they're great. I just really appreciate it. I'm like, just, just in so many ways that you're not even aware of, you individually, you corporately are extending the gospel. And that's what, that's clearly what God is calling us to do as well. And so, um, we are really here for the good of this city. We are here, we want, again, not for our glory, but so that they will come to Christ, as Peter said, that they will bring glory to Christ on the day of visitation, that there will be a day because you demonstrated the gospel, that it caused them to dig in and understand why do you do that? Why are you doing what you're doing? And then you verbally proclaim what Christ has done for you. We do these things so that many, many, many will turn to Christ. And so we're, we're here to serve our city. We live for the good of our city. Uh, and even individually, we live for the good of our neighbors, the good of our workplace. And as a church, we live for the good of the nations as well. So let me ask you to stand again. Let me just close our, our time here. Let me just pray for us. Uh, Father, I just these are amazing truths about us. And I thank you for uh, Peter's passion, his heart, to make sure that the believers in his day understood that. And I just pray the same for us, that we would truly live out of our identity, that we would embrace the truth about who we are, that, that out of that identity, we would proclaim your excellencies with our whole lives, that we would abstain from the passions that can draw us away from who you are, and that we would truly uh, do good. Again, not to bring us glory, but to bring you glory. God, we quickly admit we are not a perfect church. We are not a perfect people, but we serve a God who loves. We serve a Savior who died for sinful men. Jesus, would you use us to bring you glory? In your great name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.